Well, good morning. Um, my name is George, one of the pastors here. I just got back from Sierra Leone this week, so I have a little bit of jet lag. So if I fall asleep in my own sermon, you're more than welcome to join me. Um, we're so glad you're here. If you're new or you've been coming fairly recently, we, just, we really want to welcome you. Our heart is to be a place you can belong before you believe. And that means you don't have to believe what I believe or what our church believes to explore faith, to build friendships, and to be part of our, our community. And uh, our, our goal is to help every person take the next step on their spiritual journey. We all come from different places, different points, different backgrounds. And the most wonderful thing is that a community based on Jesus is helping everyone. Jesus loved everyone. There were no throwaway people in Jesus' ministry. And we want to help everyone take steps on their journey with Jesus. Amen? We're excited about that. Well, um, where to begin? I'll just reiterate, I know you guys heard a little bit about this, but man, if you're new, Starting Point is a great place to come and just to learn what is the next step for me, and we get to hear your story. It's not just about hearing Whitewater's story, it's about hearing about you. We're excited about that. And then the Community of Calling, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but man, it doesn't matter if you're a you know, teacher, healthcare worker, you own your own business, you're a you know, trades person, you're art person, or you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and building the home, this is something new that we're doing, and I want to invite you to come get lunch and hear about it, and let's, we want to resource you to be doing the ministry that God's called you to do in your workplace. My role as pastor is not more important than what you do Monday through Saturday. So uh, let me say a word of prayer, and we'll jump into our, our talk for today. Heavenly Father, would you just speak, uh, speak through your word, speak through... Um, the people here in this church, speak through me today, and I just pray that we would have open hearts to receive what you have to give us uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just got back from Sierra Leone. I thought I'd give you guys a little snapshot. There's so many amazing things happening, some just incredible stories, but part of what we're doing, we're doing kind of a two-part thing. We're really trying to strengthen churches. We call it kind of deepening the reservoir, and then we're also trying to, to uh, help connections happen between churches and also with uh, the sectors of the government, the social sectors with uh, business and government and nonprofits to work together for the flourishing of Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone has uh, one of the, it's one of the worst um, mortality rates for, for children, for, for babies in the world. Uh, they're facing enormous challenges, but man, it was incredible to be there with pastors. Um, I think we have a picture we could show. This is like a, a picture of what one of the trainings might look like. We're in a church building, and uh, these are amazing pastors with their leaders getting together, some of them for the first time connecting. Like th- These are pastors from different denominations, so we're bringing pastors past boundaries that, that really hasn't happen in some areas of Freetown and, and Sierra Leone before. We have like Pentecostals with Baptists and Wesleyans and uh, Charismatics and Anglicans. And I mean, you just, you can go down a whole list and here they are working together, learning how can we work together for the good of the city, for the good of our country. And man, I'm learning uh, so much by working with this group of, of people. One pastor said it, it was, it was like a moment that just clicked for him when we discussed the idea of, of pastors and leaders of churches, not just being pastors for their congregations, but seeing themselves as pastors for their whole communities. And he said that changes everything for him. He's, he has started to do uh, outreaches to his community. He fa- he's like, we found out that typhoid and diabetes and some other diseases are running rampant. 
And so we, we have a, he said, we have a doctor in our church and, and uh, they're, they're actually a doctor that leads a lot of doctors in the nation. And we told them about the issue and, and that, that doctor got his friends together and did a screening of over 300 people in their local community in Freetown. And he's like, we were able to identify uh, people who had diabetes, who didn't know it, who had typhoid, didn't know it, other diseases. And we were able to help them get a uh, medication that they needed. He's like, our neighbors are taking notice that we don't just care about our congregation, we care about our community. Isn't that incredible? I just am blown away by the bridges and the, um, we call them bright spots, how people are working together for the gospel. Partnership is really happening uh, and I couldn't be more thankful to be part of it. Um, I could say so much more. There's so many cool things happening. Um, but I'm going to jump into our sermon. We're going to be jumping into Philippians. Have you guys have ever read through the book of Philippians or a few people? Awesome. We're going to be doing a study through that. And uh, the reason I think it's really important to do this um, study is the, the, the purpose of this sermon series is really to teach us as a church community to have joy in the Lord through all things. And we're going to learn, like, Paul teaches us to do that through prayer, praise, and partnership. And so be, be thinking about those things, prayer, praise, and partnership, as we go through this first uh, section of chapter one. Um, as, I was, as I was reading this, God kind of, uh, as I've been studying for this sermon series, God has really kind of put some things on my heart that I want for our church but it became really personal when I was like traveling from, uh, from here to Africa. Um, uh, an interesting um, conversation and, and uh, travel moment happened. You ever have those moments where you're like super tired and you're traveling, you're, you're on a plane and you just want to kind of like curl up and sleep? I got on the plane, we flew from here to, to D.C., and then we had like a long flight from D.C., we're going to Brussels, it's apparently in, in, in uh, Belgium, and there are Belgium waffles waiting for me when I got to the airport, it was incredible, I was very excited about that, but in D.C., I was just really tired as we were taking off, I just kind of wanted to sleep, and my brother, he was sitting across the aisle from me, and he had kind of like his, his airplane buddy, and they like hit it off, they started talking, and Evan's airplane buddy was like, yeah, I work for the sports uh, organization and we work with ESPN, we work with FIFA, we work with all these cool international sports organizations and I was like that's so cool and I'm a pastor I probably should talk with my airplane buddy and so I was so tired I just wanted to kind of be quiet but I was like no I'll do it and so I turned and, um, and I, I, my, my the guy sitting next to me, he had like this old, huge Bible. Like it was, uh, I think, a New American Standard, but the, the, the version of Bible that my dad loved in the 70s and 80s. He had out, he's marking up. I was like, oh, okay. So I, you know, asked him, what's your name? What are you doing? And, and, and he started sharing with me and he shared, uh, he said, yeah, I, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to Sierra Leone. I'm like, I am too. That's so cool. And he, was, he was an older gentleman in his, uh, I think, mid-60s or younger, older gentleman in his mid-60s. I got in trouble last time I said that here. I'll be careful. Thank you for holding me accountable. Um, so he was a real youngster sitting next to me. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, Freetown. I was supposed to go last week, last Sunday. Uh, but I wasn't able to. And I was like, really? What? You know what happened? He's like, oh, the day uh, I was supposed to go, the day I was supposed to leave, I woke up and uh, he's like, I had violent diarrhea. And it was at this moment, uh, I was like, huh. And he goes, and I had memory loss. And that combination of problems was something I wasn't expecting at that moment. 
And I'm just going to tell you what kind of went through my head. I, my wife says I need to be more vulnerable, so here it goes. As your pastor, I was like thinking, as he said, I had violent diarrhea and memory loss. I was like, should you be here right now? Should you be traveling? Second thing crossed my mind was like, is it catchy? Like, I was immediately like, ah. And, um, and I was like, maybe, did your doctor tell you not to go to Sierra Leone, but you forgot because of the memory loss? You know, all these things are crossing my, my, my mind. And eventually he shows, you know, like, but they, they found out it was like my reaction to the malaria pills. So it was a reaction that I had. So I'm, I'm fine now. Later I tested him. I was like, what's your name? And he was like, he's like, I know what you're doing. My name is Ted. I mean, Fred. And I was like, ah. So it was one of those interesting moments. And, and like this eight-hour flight was very interesting conversation. And, um, and I, I, was, I was thinking about Philippians, learning to have joy in all things, in every conversation, in every moment. And uh, the book of, book of Philippians is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, while he's in prison. He's in chains for the gospel, writing to a church that he helped plant. You can read about this church in Acts chapter 16. It's one of the first churches that was planted. It's, uh, it's in northern Greece. It was, one of the, it was like the first church in Europe to be planted. And when you read Paul's language as he's writing to the Philippians, you notice that like there's a generosity, a love, a connection. He doesn't say it's his favorite church, but the way he talks to them in contrast to the Galatians and Corinthians, you kind of get the feel like this might be his unofficial favorite church. You guys can feel, you guys are my official favorite church. I love you guys. Me and my wife love you guys. But you can just tell he has a, such a depth of love. But he's writing from prison, a place he doesn't want to be, in a situation he doesn't want to be in, and probably didn't think he'd be in. And yet he has joy. He starts off the letter saying how much joy he has. Anybody ever found yourself in a situation, maybe in you know, a flight where you didn't think you'd be, and having to learn to have joy and thankfulness? and have an open heart. Anybody in situations right now in your life with work, with family, with loss, learning to have joy? I think if there's one person we can learn from, I think Paul is one of the best mentors in joy. Best mentors in joy. So let's open this pa- the passage here, and, and we'll st- I thought chapter one would be a good place to start, and we're going to be working through this as a church over the next several weeks, and if you guys don't like the sermon, it's really bad, you can just chalk it up to violent diarrhea and memory loss, okay? So here we go. Um, from Paul and Timothy, slaves or servants of King Jesus, to all God's holy ones in, uh, in King Jesus who are in Philippi. Northern Greece. Together with the overseers and the ministers, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and King Jesus the Lord. He's a pretty good letter opener, right? Like, I don't open my letters or my texts, you know, that well. Like, to the ministers and overseers, you know, of the Bedlian clan. I, I probably should start doing that. Grace and peace to you. What a great opening. And then he says this. I thank my God every time I think of you. I always pray with joy whenever I pray for you all. The context is Paul is in prison, probably in a cell with a guy who has memory loss and you know the other. He's in, he's in a situation where he's in chains for the gospel. His circumstances aren't what he wishes they were. 
And yet he sees joy. He sees God at work in this. So how do we learn, what what can we learn from him? And I think the first thing, uh, you can take your notes out if you have them. Um, The first thing I want us to take note of is that we, we can learn from Paul to pray with praise. His prayers... When you see his, write, his letters are prayers of praise. He always starts off praising God, focusing on the good. It's so easy in our culture to focus on the negative, isn't it? To focus on the division, to focus on where the problems are, to look at all the issues in the world. It's so easy to become bitter, resentful, disillusioned in our world. I mean, it's just like there is a fast track. If you want to become a bitter person, you want to follow the religion and the way of bitterness and frustration and negativity, it is a fast and easy road that everyone gets on. But Paul teaches us something different. He teaches us to pray with praise, to, to look at our circumstances with a different perspective. Here's the thing I know about prayer and praise. Praying with praise leads to a different perspective. It doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but we have a different perspective about our circumstances. Paul sees the chains that he's in, the cells, that, that this, this little dank cell that he's in, he sees it uh, differently than the world would see. He sees it like this is evidence that the gospel is transforming lives, that the message of Jesus is challenging the message that Caesar is Lord, that enough like people are saying that Jesus is Lord, that, uh, that, uh, that the uh, powers that be are threatened. He's like, the message is getting through. Lives are being transformed. And I'm here because I'm serving Jesus. I come in the way of peace. I come in the way of love. And, and the government and the world around me, the Greeks and the Phoenicians and the Romans, they're terrified of the power of love. That's why I'm here. And anybody else who would look at that situation would say, here's a guy who's given his all and he's in prison. And what has he done with his life? Prayer and praise bring a different perspective. Amen? We learn to focus not on the problems, not what's wrong, not on what we don't have, but what what we have. There's a moment where we were teaching and and communicating together uh, in Sierra Leone with the pastors. We were talking about how do we focus on the bright spots? We talk about that. We hear with our leaders and we talk about that with really any pastors. How do we, how do we focus on what we have rather than what we don't have? How do we see the bright spots in the, in a world that's overwhelmed with, you know, problems and need and darkness? How do we focus on the light? How do we see the bright spots? It was amazing to see some of the pastors begin to say, begin to talk with their teams. How do we look at what we do have? Like we talked about Jesus in the moment where he's faced with 5,000, you know, hungry people and, and his disciples are like, send them home, Lord, we don't have enough. And Jesus says, what do we have? He doesn't focus on what he doesn't have. And Jesus says, what do we have? And they bring some bread and some fish and he blesses it. And then he breaks it and he starts multiplying it. And in, the, in Sierra Leone, where there is an infant mortality rate that's worse than almost any place in the world, there's, uh, there's disease because of very preventable, um, very preventable uh, help that could happen, you know, just clean water, uh, sanitation, hygiene, but, but they're facing all kinds of issues, illiteracy, disease, all kinds of poverty, and in the midst of that, here are these pastors 
thinking and working together, where are the bright spots and how could we work with what God has given us? Changes everything. What if you and I, what if we in our lives began to say, man, what are the bright spots? Where, where is God at work? Where are the signs of hope? What can I be thankful for? And rather than becoming bitter and resentful, we start becoming people filled with joy because I'm telling you, thankfulness and praise are the antidote to bitterness and, resent, and resentfulness. Praise is the antidote to bitterness. You can't praise God and be thankful and bitter at the same time. I'm telling you, you just can't. No matter our situations. So how do we train our mind? How do we train our prayer life to begin doing this? We were in this, um, I'll share this one last story on this. Uh, We were in uh, a church. My friend Patrick, he's the six foot four Sierra Leone pastor. He is one of the most educated, intelligent men I've ever met. He just, and he carries himself... Um, just like he walks through a crowd, he knows what he's about, he's very calm. And it's interesting, like the, the church background, he comes from very charismatic, the very celebratory and demonstrative, and he's just kind of quiet. He kind of almost what you'd think of as kind of a bookworm, he's really shy. But he's this leader, and, and he was an engineer before he was a pastor, and so he's slowly, story by story, building a school for his community. And he's even helping build a school. He's partnering, giving his ability for free to the state school to help build that up because he just wants any and every kid to have the education he had. And I was in his church and he had me preach and we were get, I was getting ready to preach and, and they had like the worship. And guys, I love our worship. Michael, like, he's got some Sierra Leone him. He moves, you know. But we, our church, compared to the Sierra Leone church, we don't move like they do. This church is moving. Their worship pastor's like all over the place. They've got a choir back here. I mean, a choir, choir, just like singing, I mean, and, and encouraging the congregation to sing. Everyone's moving in the seat. And I'm just trying to do what my wife taught me because I'm not a good dancer. Just keep it high and tight, just like this. Okay, I'm just like, I don't want to do too much to scare the Sierra Leone people. And I don't want to do too little to offend them. So I'm just keeping it high and tight. And then everyone's dancing around. And, and then there's Patrick just sitting. He's kind of sticking. He doesn't move and he's just very austere and in the middle of this worship he reached into the his suit coat pocket and pulled out this colorful thing I didn't know what it was and then he telescoped it out put it to his lips it was a shofar do you know what a shofar is it's like a Jewish horn originally it was like a real horn from an animal you know, like an antelope or something. He has a telescoping shofar, and in the middle, the most quiet man with all these people going crazy around him, he just puts it to his lips and he goes, wah, like that, and everybody goes crazy. And I'm like, here, trying to keep it high and tight, right? I'm like, what in the world is that? And then he's like, wah, it's like his moment to release the joy in his heart, the praise, in his heart. and people go crazy. He goes up, he's got his telescoping shofar. It was incredible. At that moment in time there couldn't have been anything better I was like yes this needed to happen it was amazing but in the middle of a world in Sierra Leone in Freetown that has overwhelming poverty illiteracy disease self-serving leadership here's this community focusing on what God is doing in their midst finding ways to serve their community praising God 
the more we focus and praise him, the more God empowers us to change our world. Amen? Let's pray with praise. Let's keep moving. I got to keep teaching here. Um, So why does he pray with joy? Why does he pray with joy? Well, one, we know joy and praise transform our minds. There's, there's research that shows that cultivating positive emotions and positive outlook and meditation and prayer, it actually increases uh, our hormones and our neurotransmitters in our body, and it gives us a sense of safety and well-being. It actually transforms our mind. Praise transforms our mind. Um, it improves uh, brain ability, stability, reduces anxiety and depression when you praise and when you take joy. It changes you. But he gives another reason for the praise. Check this out in the, in the back half of verse 5. He has joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now. He says our partnership in the gospel. Paul has joy and is thankful because he sees a community that is in partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are my partners. These are my family. We're working together in the name of Jesus. And he says this in verse 6, of this I am convinced. The one who began a good work in you will thoroughly complete it by the day of King Jesus. When God puts all things right between now and then God is doing a work he started a work and he's going to finish it here's the beautiful thing that Paul reveals if if you have ever struggled believing this or knowing this about the the Christian faith when God breaks into our life like he broke into the Philippian church's life when G, when Paul first started the church and people first realize that there's a God who loves them and a God who wants to transform them and walk with them so we enter partnership with God That every step, no matter like if we're in the pit of despair or we're in the highest of heights, God is a partner walking with us, working with us, working through us. And we can trust that even when we fail, that when we struggle, there is a God who started faith with us, love with us, joy with, with us. The God who started that is the God who will finish it. So when you feel like giving up or you have given up, God hasn't given up and he is going to be faithful to complete the maturity of joy and love and life in you. Amen? So Paul's like, these chains might be on my arms, but my spirit is totally free and my spirit is with you. And I, he, Paul knows that his life isn't just this little thing that's here one moment and gone the next. He knows that because of the spirit of God, he is an unending, eternal, spiritual being destined for greatness in God's great, amazing world. His life will go beyond these changes. His, his soul will go beyond the, the lifetime of the, the metal that was uh, holding him bound than the, than the prison that he was sitting in. That those who walk with God are destined for an eternity with him. Amen? For those of you struggling for joy, does that bring hope? I think sometimes when we keep our, our we remember the end game, it teaches us how to live the now game. The end game informs the now game. I, I, I want to uh, raise a few things. Partnership is so important. Important Partnership with God, partnership with people. He, he sees what he's doing as real partnership. Did you realize in this day and age when you were a prisoner that the prison didn't provide any food for you? 
the prison that Paul is in have no responsibility, don't feel any responsibility to make sure that he remains alive. So Paul was completely dependent on partnership for provision. You, in this day and age, you, if you were to survive prison, jail, you had to have family, friends, partners who would provide food for you, who would provide clothing for you to make it through the winter. He was totally vulnerable. And part of the letter of the Philippians is Paul saying, thank you for being my partners. Thank you for providing for me. As I helped provide the gospel to you when we first met, you have returned the, like the sustaining grace of God. You are my partners. So partnership for Paul isn't just a spiritual high five. Hey, nice to see you. Let's go out uh, you know, on a Sunday, high five, and then you leave and go do your thing, and, and that's it. Partnership is like working in the gospel together. Partnership in, um, in our responsibilities together um, with, with how we love each other, how we're there for each other through thick and thin. It's financial. It's, um, it's giving time to one another. Partnership is working in the gospel together. And he thanks the Philippian church who sent Epaphroditus, one of their members, to bring money and food and clothing to him. How amazing is that? Here's this guy who's just totally vulnerable and he's talking about the power of the partnership of the gospel. Partnership, just to give you a definition, I think it's defined in this passage really well. With God, it's what God begins in partnership. God finishes in partnership. Isn't that cool? God finishes. Um, Partnership is a deep friendship in the gospel and for the gospel. Partnership is a deep friendship in the gospel and for the gospel. Um, Listen to verse seven. Check this out. Uh, This is talking about work and responsibility, time, talent, treasure, that kind of partnership. It's right for me, he says, to think in this way about all of you, to think of you as partners. You have me in your hearts here in prison as I am, where other people see my circumstance and they say, what a failure. If God was really with him, he would be blessed, but he's cursed, he's in prison. He must not be following God or he must not be that great of a leader. or he, Like his faith isn't really worth, uh, worth following. And yet the Philippians, they know that like the God they served sent his son Jesus not to just reap all the glory and the goodness in the world, but to die on a cross. If we serve a God who was broken for the sins of the world on the cross and looked foolish and looked like a failure to the world, wouldn't it make sense for the followers of that God, the followers of Jesus, to not only experience the joys and the heights of Christian faith, but also to experience the lows and the cross-like and the brokenness? And if you're just looking for a faith that will give you the car that you want, the money that you want, the life that you want, then you, you don't fully understand the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ takes us, to the, takes us to heaven, but there's a reality that we go through the cross, that we go through challenge and brokenness and hardship. How many of you guys have discovered that about faith? And sometimes the mark of the cross, the mark of the challenges of following Jesus are the best demonstrations that you are following Jesus. Paul being in prison was actually a demonstration and example of his faithfulness to Jesus. Not that he wasn't worth following. I love this. He says in uh, verse 7, yes, 
or finishing verse seven, seven, he says, you have me in your hearts here in prison as I am working to defend and bolster up the gospel. Everything I do is for the gospel. You are my partners in grace, all of you. Again, he emphasizes partnership. You're my partners in the gospel. You're my partners in grace. All of you, yes, God can bear witness how much I am longing for all of you with the deep love of King Jesus. He has such strong affection and care and love, connection with his gospel partners, his grace partners. In your life, let me just ask you this question. Do you have partners in the gospel that you would like, you'd say, man, I would give my life for them. I know they'd give their life for me. I'm praying for them. When they hurt, I hurt. When they're aching, I'm aching. When they have joy, I have joy because we are partners in the gospel. The gospel of grace is all about partnership. It's how God has partnered to save and to change and transform humanity. Uh, Here's a definition of grace that might be helpful for you. When he says we are partners in the grace of God, it's God's partnership with people. God's partnership with people, choosing to do through us what we could not do on our own. God choosing to do through us what we couldn't do on our own. Sometimes in church, we kind of like, we, we, we take grace and we, we, we try to do something good with it and we kind, of, we kind of fit it and we kind of diminish it to mean just forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is really important. How many of you guys like forgiveness? I like forgiveness, very important. But for Paul, grace was like, it's so much bigger than just forgiveness. Like, if we're just forgiven, but we're not freed, then we've only done half the, we're only halfway there. For, For Paul, grace is about all of life. Grace is like the jet fuel for the human life. It's, it's God's grace isn't just forgiveness. It's also like, if you've, don't, if you've ever had a moment in your life where you didn't have the vision to move forward, God gave, giving you the vision to move forward, that's grace. If you didn't have the ability to move forward in your life at one point, God giving you the ability, that's grace. If you didn't have the relationship and at one point in your life, the relationships that would sustain you, God putting those relationships that helped you that's grace. Grace is the abundant life of God. It includes forgiveness. It includes uh, freedom, vision, ability, relationship. It is everything we need to do what God has chosen to do through us. Amen? We're partners in grace here at Whitewater. We're partners. Everything we, we're partners. We're not lone rangers. We're partners. It's all about partnership in the grace of God. And this, he says, is what I'm, what I'm praying. I'm going to close this on these few, hopefully practical thoughts. And this is what I'm praying. Paul prays a prayer. And he says, I pray that your love may overflow still more and more. So he's praying for his partners. Their love would still fl- overflow more and more in the knowledge and astute, in all astute wisdom. In knowledge and wisdom. I think it's important we understand knowledge isn't just like what we know about God or know about the world. It's what you experientially know. That's the Greek understanding. You, ex- you know through experience. 
And we, we live in a world where there's lots of knowing about God. There's lots of Christians who know the right theology about God. And they might even say that the, the gospel is right theology about God, right um, knowledge about God. But, but the problem with that is in the book of James, it teaches us that even demons believe the right doctrines of God, but don't worship God. So there's lots of people who know about God, very little people who live life with God. And there's a difference. I could write a book that told you about all the things about my wife. My wife, Sarah, the cook, the mom, the wife. Like the beautiful, like tender nature of Sarah. Her gifts. I could write all about that. And you could read it. But what would you know about Sarah? You would know what I, through experience, wrote for you to know. But you wouldn't have a relationship with her. Paul is saying, I pray that you would have a interactive, um, real, vivid, experiential walk with God. And then you'd gain wisdom through that. He goes on to say, then you will be able to tell the difference between good and evil and be, and be sincere and faultless on the day of the Messiah being able to discern good from evil. Verse 11, and you'd be filled with over, uh, to overflowing with the fruit of right living or righteousness. But I like that term, right living. Fruit that comes through King Jesus to, to God's glory and praise. Remember, he comes back around to praise. So here's, let me give you just a snapshot of what I think Paul's doing and then uh, a practical application for our church this week. What I think Paul's doing, I think he always does this. If you read his letters, he's always looking for reasons and excuses and ways to connect the smaller story of like the Philippians or the Corinthians or the Galatians or you and me, anybody he's discipling. He's trying to take our smaller story and connect it to God's bigger story, the bigger narrative. And I think what he's doing in this last passage is he's praying a prayer that's connecting their lives to the story of Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve. And if you know that story, Adam and Eve walked with God. And as they walked with God, they heard God's voice. And they learned knowledge and wisdom. And then when they learned to hear God's voice, they had God's vision. They learned, hey, we're in the garden, we're supposed to take care of it, and we can eat of everything except that tree, right? So they heard God's voice and then had God's vision to know that that fruit was not to be eaten and then they lived a life where they were learning to serve and be fruitful for God, right? What happened when they met the servant? The pattern of, think about this, the pattern of voice, vision, and then vocation, how we live our life is affected. When they meet the, the serpent, what does Eve do? She listens to another voice, not God's voice. And that voice gives her, and Adam's standing right by, he's not doing anything, right? He's not leading and helping. And that voice gives them a different vision, a different discernment of what is good and the evil. And it makes the the fruit of the tree they shouldn't eat from look good. So the voice changes their vision and then it changes their vocation. And unfaithfulness, unfruitful living and sin is born. When they listen to the wrong voice, they have the wrong vision. They have the wrong vocation. And Paul is praying, I think, a prayer to reverse that curse. 
I think he's praying here and he's praying for his partners that they would walk with God and have wisdom that comes from listening to God's voice. That they would have God's vision to know good from evil, to discern. And that they would have right living, a vocation that is fruitful and faithful and reverse the effects of the curse. Now, I could be wrong. And you can just say, you know what, George, you're wrong. I'm just going to read this for what it says. But I think that's what it's drawing on. What a beautiful prayer for his partners, isn't that? That you would have the voice of God. You would hear his voice. You would have God's vision for your life. And you would walk out God's vocation for you. Amen? So here's the practical part that I want for, you, for our church. As we go through this series, I really am hoping that our church would grow in our ability to pray, to praise, and to partner together. To begin to, what if we started looking at our community groups or the community of calling? I want to invite you to that. This is a really great opportunity to form partnerships with people who are in similar walks of life, maybe doing similar callings and connect you and resource you for encouragement, um, for uh, even accountability for your life and for your calling, connecting you as partners. And what if we looked at each other and not just as a place we come and we, you know, do church, then we head out, but we energize, we partner together, and we support each other for the rest of the week, Monday through Saturday, and then we come back together as partners. The gospel at the center of it is partnership with God and with each other, amen? So there's a prayer that Paul prays at the end of Philippians, and he teaches this. Um, He talks about the importance of prayer. Uh, And he says this in chapter four, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. It's so important. Rejoice again. Have joy in the Lord. Verse five, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. And then verse six, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Somebody, maybe that the only thing you get out of today's sermon if you're overwhelmed and worried about everything, instead, what should we do? Pray about everything. Learn the practice of prayer and praise. Tell God what you need. Tell God what the problems are. Give him the burdens of your life and thank him for all he does. Pray, ask, and praise. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here's Paul, sitting in prison, chained in the dark, probably can't see well, and he's giving the gift of a peace that guards the heart of any believer. Do you want that peace in your life? I sure do. So here's for our community groups or with your family or the community of calling. Maybe you connect with some new partners in this season or the next month or a little over a month as we study this together. I want us to focus on praying and praising in partnership. So like with your community groups, rather than just going into the study of the Bible, what I want us to do is start with prayer. And here's a pattern of prayer. It's really simple. It's called pray. Um, It's an acrostic. You just start like this. In the beginning of your community groups or with your families, just take time to praise together. Take a few minutes. Just praise God for the good, the bright spots, the good, the joys, the things you can be thankful for. Praise God. 
for a, for a few minutes together. Break into groups if you need to. And then the next one is release. And it's the idea almost of repent. Release the things that are holding you back. Release the burdens, the stresses, the worries. And if you're in a trustworthy group that you trust, maybe even release sin that's holding you back. Release it. Um, a stands for ask. Ask God for what you need. Ask God to, to give what your friends need that you're praying with. Uh, take time to, to pray th- and ask God. So praise, release, ask, take time at each of these, these um, aspects of prayer. And then finally, yield. And that's simply saying, God, not my way, your way. Sometimes it's just waiting on not my way, your way. And I think as we, we go through this prayer model together, pray. Praise, release, ask, and yield. God is going to open our hearts, change our minds, transform our hearts and minds. I think our church is going to be blessed in partnership. And after that, go into the study if you want. But we can have churches that know a lot and are really smart about the Bible but still be bitter people. And I want our church to walk with God. Bible, theology is important. But knowing about the Bible is no supplement for walking with God. So let's partner that that way together. Amen? Let's pray. I'll pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I just pray that your love would overflow in the lives of these partners in the gospel. My friends, would they gain knowledge and wisdom that comes from you, from your voice? Would, you, would they be able to tell the difference and discern between good and evil, right and wrong, the right path and the wrong path in their life and have the right vision? And then, God, I ask that your love would be so overflowing that there would be fruit and faithfulness of right living, that their vocation would be so clear and the way that they, they live would be so beautiful that people couldn't help but know that it came from you. Would you bless this church? In Jesus' name, amen.